Welcome to We'll Always Have Paris. I'm Rachel Kapelke-Dale. And I'm Chris Newens. And I'm Navkoti Tambra. This December, we have an extra special treat for you. This is our Napoleon month. (laughs) Prepare to be conquered, babies. We are here for it. This week, we're going to get started with Napoleon and Josephine. And stay tuned next week to see how this uh, little duology wraps up. And now it's time for This Week in Love. So for This Week in Love, I wanted to talk about an article that was in The New Yorker about a week ago um, about the dawn of the celebrity power couple. And the whole uh, idea of this is like centered around two rules that uh, this original celebrity power couple set forth, uh, that celebrity power couples still need to... Uh, abide by to be true celebrity mm-hmm. power couples and clearly I'm trying so hard to rank for the keyword <laughs> celebrity power couples <laughs> that's uh, one more for luck celebrity power couples it doesn't understand Chris's accent so. you know a lot of CPCs um, <laughs> do you think we can make that acronym happen I think we can mm-hmm. actually We're unfortunately in the internet world that's cost per click which uh, it already <laughs> exists <laughs> So before we get into anything, this is the this is the uh, way that the author of this article, Andrew Hagen, describes uh, the celebrity power couple. He says, celebrity marriage is an internal combustion engine, and audiences love nothing more than to watch it stall out or send the car off a cliff. Yes. Which is absolutely true. Especially um, the latter. Absolutely true. So what I wanted to ask you guys, um, for, I had a bunch of questions. First of all, who do you think the original celebrity power couple was? I, I'm going to go for uh, uh, Anthony and Cleopatra. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Not far off from what I was going to guess, which is going to be Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> no joke. Did you read this? No. That is it. That is absolutely it. And Naf, tell us why that you you uh, you came up with this uh, highly original uh, take. Um, genuinely, I did not read this article because I refused to pay for the New Yorker. <laughs> first, I, I'll give you my codes. Thank God. Okay, so first of all, well, I thought of them as being the original because when I think of a real celebrity power couple, so spoiler, Taylor and Travis don't count. Um, uh, this article me. did count them. Okay, yes. so I knew that was that. I'm not mad about that. That's not canon, but I would not include them because I think right. for a celebrity power couple, you have to have two people who who bring different components of the star quality to the relationship. They both must be really, really striking. They don't have to both be pretty, but they have to both be aesthetically pleasing. And when we watch them together, we have to kind of be like, "Wow, I love this performance of relationship." It's not. I should never think, oh, this is relatable. That's mm-hmm. not a celebrity power couple. It should always feel like, oh, my God. I mean, think about the way that they traveled, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, their clothing, their epic fights, the amount of money, the amount of alcohol, the amount of ships and yachts and animals and wine that they were always, like, just carting around with them. Her turbans, her jewels, his turbans, mm-hmm. his jewels. Um, <laughs> you want a celebrity power couple to be a spectacle. So, like... And there aren't that many right now. I mean, Brangeline obviously is a classic example of their heyday. I would say right now maybe J-Lo and Ben Affleck, but they're a little bit... Interesting, because they did Pinkett Smith and Smith. Back um, in the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As an example, more recent. And I think the thing about celebrity power couples, too, is that they they don't really last that great under scrutiny, which is why I also think that 
Travis and Taylor don't make sense for me. I think it's really, I think she's doing her level best to get there. I mean, this is definitely a love story in multiple acts. I can see that she's in the best possible way, like pulling the strings of like how much we get to see. Like I remember in her time interview recently, she said something like, oh, did you think we were going to hard launch at one of his games? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, like, celebrities themselves now speak in that language, <laughs> right? Like, they are very aware that we are watching. Hard launching your relationship. That's yeah. amazing. She really, she said, that's a, that's a, almost a direct quote. Did, did you guys really think we were going to hard launch during one of his games? <laughs> so clearly, Naf should have written this article. This yeah. is, this is, you're hitting on a bunch of really uh, important points. Thank you so and much. And then some that, uh, that Mr. O'Hagan or whatever it was makes. Um, Christopher, what do you think? Um, as to, I, I, I mean, I just, I think I have to say I agree with Naf. I think that the idea of them complementing one another is really important. I mean, the main thing is, I guess, two celebrities. It's like a super group, right? Like, you know, they've just got to be very famous both in their own right before they get together and become a couple. That's it. And they have to yeah. be pretty much of an equal level of fame. Um, yeah, another example was Chris Martin and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, um, with the yeah. conscious uncomp- uh, uncoupling reference. Yeah. For sure, for sure, and also they were, and they're a good example too because they were not, they weren't giving the same energy in that relationship. Well, when you said super group, yeah. I think that's a really good example. Um, like I think about, and wow, this is you need real. a baby, you need a posh. Yeah. <laughs> But I was, and I was going to say, like, the Marvel supergroups, right? Like, the Avengers, right? Like, all of those, all, every single superhero is supposed to be excellent, right? We're not going to accept that they're in the Avengers, if, which is why Jeremy Renner's inclusion has always been very interesting to me, but that's really not about this. <laughs> but, you know, you want everyone to be equal, equally, powerf- equally powerful, but not for the same reasons. Um, it's just, it, it's just occurred to me, if I was in marketing and I was really kind of pulling the strings behind all this, I would want to create like a, a celebrity power thruple effectively. I think that would be just tabloid gold. <laughs> if you could get like, you know, a, a real life, like people who are kind of team Jedward or team, no, not Jedward, whatever the team Edward or who's the other one? Um. <laughs> uh, yes, the famous team Jedward. <laughs> I want us to say nothing and let Chris figure this out and again, keep all of it. I'm not you- sure the other week that we got the part where he mispronounced Lady Gaga. <laughs> Lady Gaga. Gaga. <laughs> Balenciaga. <laughs> are you guys aware who uh, Jedward are, by the way? Like? Yes, I, am. <laughs> I have no. Oh, I have no clue. This is a real thing. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, in in many ways, a celebrity power couple. Although actually, I think they were twins. Um, and, they, and they remain to this day. Actually, <laughs> I don't know why that ominous word was put in there. They were an awful. <laughs> they have not died. <laughs> Irish pop act who were both twins with kind of like weird quiffs. Um, and who are now on reality TV shows, which is how I found out. Yeah. About okay. Them. <laughs> and they became famous through Pop Idol so they st- anyway we're getting off topic no this you is- guys actually each made one of the two uh, points that this article made so the first rule was this is the first rule of modern celebrity coupledom there are always more than two people involved so not in the way that you meant Chris when the idea of like there are these secondary players you know there's like mm. the kids and you know the entourage oh. and like the you know like is you know is so and so pissed off about them dating it's like a merger of two companies like I think I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Taylor Swift content flying around at the moment as there always is but something that i read about her today was how working for her is similar to kind of working for you know you're part of just a huge company Mm -hmm. and so a celebrity power couple i mean it's there in the name i guess it's like a a literal merger of two companies as well as relationships because there's this 
as you say, the huge entourage behind it. Like, yeah, absolutely. And like with the with Taylor and Burton, like the the story ended on a really touching note. Where in one of her last interviews, you know, he was like. So like it's something like, are you sad that you'll never see Richard Burton again? Which is like a fucked up question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she was like, uh, she was like, you know what? I'm sure I'll see him soon. Mm-hmm. Which is just like, oh. But then it's like it's so much more than just whatever that dynamic right. was, and it's the performance of that dynamic. It's all of the people around them. It's the like the photographers. So one of the big things we actually covered Taylor and Burton in my class on Glamour, like my writing class on Glamour this semester because. They were the first couple to get caught cheating via telephoto lens. And so yes. you really get into like on a yacht. So yep. they thought they were totally mm-hmm. private, but actually you break that wall before that, like Bacall and Bogart or like Hepburn and Tracy, you right. know, had these kind of illicit relationships or like frowned upon by society, but like weren't ever caught mm-hmm. kind of on film, right. you know, except in their roles, you know, performing, uh, yeah, et cetera. Um, so yeah, so there was this totally separate, uh, uh, level of access that the public had to them. And I think also it helps if there's, because when you're saying kind of secondary tertiary characters, it does also help if there are wronged parties. Like to go back to Brangelina, it was helpful to have Jennifer Aniston, right? So yeah. we had the innocent good girl. I mean, like, and actually the same with Taylor and Burton, right? We had um, Taylor, uh, Taylor and Debbie. Burton. Yeah. Taylor Burton. What did I say? I thought I thought you were talking about Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift yeah. so yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. The original Taylor. <laughs> I can't believe this. Liz Taylor. Um, with, um, yeah, with Taylor Debbie. Swift was not in a relationship <laughs> with Richard Burton. Yeah, we're breaking it right here. <laughs> so when everybody's Googling Taylor Swift, Richard Burton, we're the first hit. I think that would be one of my, what a fantasy power couple. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Burton getting back late. Like, he's, he's so drunk. He's yeah. so, um, Taylor, Taylor. He's <laughs> never going to go Richard to her Burton. shows. He's never going to be quietly supporting her. He's going to constantly publicly slag off her music. <laughs> It'd be like if she was dating Hugh Grant. <laughs> awful I, I really worked on my Richard Burton impression last year but I think it's gone now like um. well apparently I, I believe he was the one who used to leave her like mean notes around the house like in bad yeah, times where he was just like you're so fat and I hate you <laughs> she just come across yeah. which leads into the second point uh, for celebrity power couples which is that which is Nat's point, the marriage should be operatic, that is to say, extravagantly distant, with a strong sense that everything is taking place on another planet. Yes, that's my favorite. I love those kinds of relationships. I'm always so bored when celebrities get together. Like, when Ariana Grande was with, like, a real estate agent for two years. I'm so fucking bored. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, who gives a fuck? Celebrities, are you listening? Don't date a normal. No, <laughs> you make really? Nat so unhappy. Oh, it's so boring. And, like, even when they last and they're, like, happy with each other or whatever, I'm like, oh, ew. <laughs> see that anywhere. So... Here's my question for you guys, the second question, which is that if you were to become, say, like Colleen Hoover level famous, which is to say, like the most famous you could get as a writer in kind of mainstream America. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I say I've never heard of that? <laughs> <laughs> I do not know who you are talking about. Lady Gaga! <laughs> she normally has like four New York Times bestsellers at any given week. She has like records. Good for her. <laughs> I, who would be the British equivalent? Um, Good for calling over. Yeah. Dick Francis, Francis in the 1980s? Yes. I don't know. I was going to say. 
of Jelly Cooper level fame, where you, your name is just like your household name. Can we be more famous than a famous writer, please? Like, no, I'm saying this is like this no, is the best. This is grounded in reality. <laughs> okay, right. Okay. Excuse me. This is grounded in reality. Who would I know you mastered his accent, Chris? But I just don't see Chris Burton being what's gonna happen. I, just, I don't see it my, myself. No shade. I don't see it for me either, most unfortunately. You might look great in a turban and diamonds. <laughs> We'd be two Scorpios. We'd be one of us would be dead within the week. <laughs> so say you're, I don't know, Ernest Hemingway famous at the height of his fame. Mm-hmm. That kind of famous. Where like maybe not everybody will recognize your face, right. but say like fifty percent of the population would recognize your name. Right. Okay? Which is about as famous as a writer can hope to be. <laughs> um, like maybe we're James Patterson level famous. Right. But that's a different kind of famous that's we're like Sadie Smith famous. There you go. <laughs> I know who she is. So I am. No, like maybe 10% of the public knows who Zadie Smith is compared to James Patterson or Colleen Hoover. I just like Look Zadie's, at her sales compared to theirs. She's just, I just feel like she's everywhere. Though. She's always getting invited to parties and. Yeah, but like she's everywhere if you read like the New York Review of Books. But like. <laughs> uh, oops, guilty. <laughs> Way to out me. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess we're never going to get to the second part of the question. I want to know the question. question? Well, who would would be the perfect power level match for that celebrity power couple? That I'm in. That I'm, yeah, I've now reached. No, that I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) So we've reached this height of fame that the the only, like, again, I like my dreams to be grounded in some kind of reality where I'm like, okay, so if I get as famous as I could be as a writer, like, you know, I don't have to become an actress, which is like not clearly not going to happen. That's so, so I've I've definitely thought about who would be, <laughs> which is, says a lot about me. Like who would be my famous writer friends? Like who'd be my new squad? But I never thought about a romantic interest. I kind of always assumed that Kev's would be there. <laughs> so you thought about replacing all your friends? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you guys would be my friends still. <laughs> but I'm just talking about like, you know, famous, not dead. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have lovely chats and we'll hang out. See, like for the camera, do you know what I mean? Like, who would look good right. at me? And I'm Who's your girl squad, yeah. So, I was thinking like Sheena Patel would definitely want to be uh-huh. there. I feel like Alexander Chi, lovely addition. I feel like mm-hmm. Brandon Taylor, not a bad thought, you know what I mean? But these people are all like one step removed from us. We all like know people who know these people, <laughs> you know I mean? but they would be like my best, best friends, like they'd party with me. Yeah, so you're like, you're like, oh, that guy I follow on Twitter. <laughs> You don't want to be in a writer, like in a writer power couple. That's terrible. But I want to be part of like. Oh, so you want somebody else who is famous, maybe in another field? Because in fact, we've yeah, already established exactly. that that's one of the key things that's of true. Uh, the power couple is that we need somebody who is not yeah. necessarily Especially a writer. For writing compared to acting, it's like like acting. You're, if you're heterosexual, you're not going to be up for the same roles, right? Whereas with writing, like there is, I think, like this sense of like it being a zero-sum game which it's not but it can like that could really get to like be the canker in a relationship i feel like i feel like i can think of something someone really good but what do you so as i'm as i'm thinking what do you guys think for yourselves (laughs) i'm thinking like a minor royal like maybe one of the younger brothers of like monaco or like an italian prince or something oh you know uh yeah i can definitely see you can tell you yeah yeah um Uh, or, yeah. I'm just remembering how I replaced like, all The of Swedish you. royal family, I feel like they have one. I don't know. I haven't looked into this completely, right. but I feel like that's a good match. Yeah. Cause it's, and then I get a title. <laughs> you know what I think would be a really good match for me? <laughs> is um, a very 
someone who's a fashion designer, but it's not quite super famous yet. Uh-huh. Is like the Mark like, Jacobs of today. There we go. Like, exactly. In, when he was like getting, you know, like just like random girls off the street then, to model for him. Yeah. Woo! Okay. So first of all, our home is going to be gorgeous, right? All the colors, all the swaths of fabric. But then I can wear their latest creations. You could make a, like, the second bedroom into your dressing room. No questions asked. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't have to worry about stylists and things like that. I don't have to pay extra. You could even have an earring room. Oh my god, an earring room? <laughs> I feel like you have so many that, like, you would just, I would never be able to, because I, I have like six pieces I wear all the time and just kind of rotate and like often forget. But like, you're, you're always pulling something new out and I feel like it must take you forever to go through your stuff and be I like, don't have an earring what room? do I, you don't have an earring room? Because <laughs> I've been my saying. king. This is what I'm Kevin saying. is holding me back. <laughs> no, no, that's not what we're saying. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're saying for celebrity thruple. <laughs> How do you feel about a fashion designer? So, yeah, I'm thinking up-and-coming, brilliant fashion designer is... Oh, my God. I'm actually, like, so nervous for the two oh, two people when I think about me and my king. Like, <laughs> what will you even do with us? Like, <laughs> like, okay, this is great. Well, I'll get us into the fancy events. Exactly. And Naf will, like, dress us. Yes. Um, Chris, what are you going to do for us? Yeah. Um, <laughs> honestly, my name was just sort of rolodexing, kind of, like, be like <laughs> <Bela> celebrities. <laughs> I mean, the first... Jedward. Kathy Griffiths? She's too big now. Like the first person no, I, nope, he's dead. I, I thought Jennifer Coolidge for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what that was, just, that was. And it's just, you know, when you get a name in your head and everything else was just kind of going, no, 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 Jennifer Coolidge. I gotta so. be honest, you would have such a great time. Like, what a wonderful... Honestly, hour. this is why we're throwing the party. Is yeah. you and Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> Also, I would like this as a trouble with Alice. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you guys, this is the reality TV I want to see. Um, all interested parties, please inquire. <laughs> and that was This Week in Love, or Questo Simon. I don't know, I'll work on the Italian. <laughs> and now it's time for the love story. So this week, we are going to be talking about a very healthy marriage, <laughs> a wonderful relationship that took place in the 1700s, 1800s. It is, in fact, Josephine and Napoleon. Woo! And everything worked out perfectly. Everything was they, great. Yeah. They're... Shortest episode of Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to start by talking about... So I'm going to start with Napoleon only because, spoiler, Josephine is by far the most fascinating person in this relationship. So, so we're starting with uh, so I'll sexy, start sexy, sexy, sexy Napoleon, and then I'll go into Josephine, and then we'll talk about their relationship. So Napoleon Bonaparte, who's actually born Napoleone Bonaparte. Um, <laughs> they don't tell you that in France. <laughs> they hate sounds talking. like my future Italian princess. <laughs> Saying Buonaparte is very fun. Buonaparte. Buonaparte. Yeah, take it all day. Uh, he was born August 15th, 1769. and Surprising no one by being Leo. Yeah, exactly. And Zero percent. Um, for those who don't know, he will later be Napoleon I, the one that you have definitely heard of. So Napoleon Bonaparte, at this point, Napoleone Buonaparte, was born in Corsica. Uh, his family is of Italian origin, as were, of course, most Corsicans at the time. He's the fourth kid in his family, the third son. And on his father's side, he comes from minor Tuscan nobility. On his mother's minor Genoese nobility, which is important because basically because of this kind of somewhat noble, moderately affluent background, Napoleon's able 
to have greater educational opportunities than most Corsicans of his time and class probably would have. Uh-huh. He was definitely the social inferior to Josephine. Um, and Josephine was, was very aware of that. Huh. Um, so Corsica's conquered the That's year- the way to be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it though? Is what we're going to discover. Oh, so Corsica... I'm like shipping it so hard already. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm in. calm down. They, I'm fucking we in. We definitely <laughs> planned a part two for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Corsica is conquered by France the year of Napoleon's birth, 1769. Um, and both of his parents are heavily involved in Corsican resistance. And But after Corsica is defeated by France... His father begins working for the new French government. And in 1777, he's named representative of Corsica to the court of Louis XVI. Um, he, Napoleon moves to mainland France at the age of nine. And actually all that stuff about Corsican resistance, I promise will come back. It's not just because I want you to know what Napoleon It's going to be in the Mary Fuck Kill, isn't it? You're like, Corsican resistance, new French government. Secession? Resistance? <laughs> um, so he moves to mainland France at the age of nine to attend a religious school. This is Napoleon. Then he transfers with a scholarship to a military academy, not a Cormite. This one is not in Paris. And he's at this <laughs> so point... So what, were they just like you, like, you are not doing good at religion. Should you maybe try war? Yeah. <laughs> These are the two options. Basically, <laughs> kind of the way that it was in the past. Exactly. It's like if you're a minor noble's... Third son, fourth child. Third son, fourth child. Yeah. yeah. Then, uh, like, those are, it's it's the church or the military exactly. for you. Like, I feel like the division was that men and women were both put into religious schools first, and then women were taken to embroidery, and then men were taken to infantry or artillery. You know, like, that was the, <laughs> that was the main schism between the genders. Um, so at this time, Napoleon is a Corsican nationalist. He super supports Corsican independence, um, you know, much like his parents. He was fluent in Corsican and Italian, which at the time was the official language of Corsica. But he doesn't actually start learning French until the age of ten, wow. and of course, and of course, he is he is very fluent in French. But he always his whole life he had a very distinctive accent, and he's bullied by most of his school career, right? Because of his accent, because of his origins, because he's from Corsica. I mean, the French are not like amazing when it comes to other nationalities now, particularly yeah. nationalities that dare to try to like leave their colonial rules. So at the time, no, yeah. they were not the most tolerant of his. You but know, strangely portals. enough, I bet he wasn't bullied for his height because I've heard that he actually was pretty normal height for the time. Yeah. Yes, we. Um, yes, exactly. Chris and I were at a dinner party, and we we were told that by Kevin, who was like, he was not yeah. that short. <laughs> Just so you know, it was a myth brought Wait, up by. I'm the... sorry, you had a dinner party without <laughs> me. Music. <sighs> <Who is it? laughs> Now, if I ask either of you for the dates, you're just going to double check for one of the days I had to miss the podcast. It was 100% when you had COVID. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Those dates. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know who I'm killing this week. Yeah. <laughs> now the podcast is just me and Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> That'd be a great podcast. She's the new num-num. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Kapelki and Coolidge is actually a great title for anything. Um... I thought this would interest us, and it's actually a theme in Napoleon's life. He, um, in early adulthood, dreamed of becoming a writer. And he actually would later on write a, um, a history of Corsica and a romantic novella. I knew about his romantic novella. <laughs> I did yeah. not. Did you read it? Did you talk I about it at the dinner party? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We all did dramatic readings. It was hilarious. <laughs> I'd prefer sick. I'd choose sick. <laughs> I'm fine not doing this one. <laughs> 
no, I haven't read it. Um, but it, we st- like we stopped it in the tiny bookshop that I used to work in in uh, Southwest London for a time, and I was like, really? "What's this?" Doing? I didn't know why it was there. Yeah, it's been translated, obviously. Like, I'm so, actually um, really surprised. I mean, I would have thought that that would be like um, Voltaire's other works that are not Candide, where we <laughs> we know the titles, but we've all kind of respectfully decided to just never talk about them again. Like, I would not, not expect this to still be sold or extant. I mean, Napoleon is a is a big deal, I think. That's my learning. I didn't know, guys. I was, do you guys remember when I like, asked you how to spell it? I was like, not Paul. <laughs> you guys, I'm still here, but I'm officially sulking for the rest of the day. <laughs> I don't even care. <laughs> I, I don't even give a shot. Um, but the romantic novella is called Clisson and, uh, et Eugenie, and it's based on his brief engagement to someone named Désirée Clary that he, who he was with before Josephine. Um, and again, like the re- I think it's interesting because obviously we're all writers, but also because there's definitely a strong streak in Napoleon of, oh, you are my lover. I'm going to completely rewrite a crucial part of your narrative. And in the case of Desiree, I'm just going to rewrite your whole life and your relationship with me. Um, so after he completes his studies at the military academy, this is when Napoleon goes to the École Militaire in Paris. Um, and he becomes the first Corsican to graduate from the École Militaire. Wow. Um, his father's death right before he left um, for school reduced his income so much that he did do a two-year course in one year. I'm so spoiler, this is not his biggest achievement. <laughs> no, and the rest of the podcast. <laughs> so he leaves the Comité and he, you know, joins various regiments up until the French Revolution. And I brought up before Napoleon's father um, kind of turning his back on Corsican resistance. So there's this, I don't know if either of you have heard of him, someone named Pasquale Paoli. Either of you heard of him? Mm-mm. So he's a major figure in Corsican resistance. It was actually him who would end up writing the Corsican constitution. So he's major. He's a huge, you know, he's a huge figure in Corsica. And Napoleon's father had been a major supporter of him. His family had been. And for Napoleon, he was one of his earliest mentors. Mm-hmm. And so around this time, he leaves the Colmitech and he decides that he's going to join back up with Pasquale Pauli. But Pauli's like, mm, wait, aren't you the one whose dad wouldn't join me in exile and actually went along with the French and actually, like, really kind of cozied up with the, yeah, no, fuck off. (laughs) So don't want you. And he he sees his, Napoleon's family, specifically his dad as a traitor. And he's like, we don't don't need your help. So Napoleon, who's not known for his patience nor his (laughs) judgment, is like, well, fuck you too. (laughs) And he promptly joins with pro-French Corsican Republicans (laughs) who... Um, I don't even know why they consider themselves Corsican Republicans because they're like, oh no, we want to stay with France. Oh no, we don't like Pasquale. It's like, just say you're French <laughs> at this point. Like, don't even pretend, right? So he's promoted within the French regular army. And when Corsica declares formal secession from France, Napoleon and his family actually have to flee to Toulon because their lives are in danger. Like, his family mm-hmm. that's in Corsica, their their lives are in danger. Like, they're considered threats to mm-hmm. Corsican national um, independence. Um, and so at, at around this time is when he stops referring to himself as Bonaparte and he starts signing things and referring to himself as Napoleon Bonaparte. So names are also extremely important with Napoleon. Um, and then, so skip ahead a little bit, 1793, he becomes friends with the Robespierre, which, uh, spoiler, does not go great. Hey, with the Robespierre? With with both of them. Because there's, I didn't uh, know. The brothers Robespierre. Exactly. I forget about the other one. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you never want to be that sibling to and, you. And, and honestly, that situation, I don't think you really want to be either of like, them. If you had to choose. So he was friends, so Napoleon's friends with the younger brother of the one that we're all thinking about when we say mm-hmm. Robespierre. Um, 
And because <laughs> the one who got a little intense. Yeah. The one who got a little bit cray cray but we'll get there. Um, and Napoleon's kind of his career starts to really settle in when he becomes the commander of what is known as the Siege of Toulon. So his strategy is used. And he successfully ousts the British. They are forced to evacuate. Um, and this is when everyone's kind of like, oh, have you guys heard about Napoleon? Like so in military is, circles, they're like, oh, shit. Okay. This is featured in the movie, right? It like, starts with um, this, basically. Yeah. Well, no, it starts with, um, you know, B-roll of French Revolution. <laughs> and then it goes straight to the season. It starts with him being there at the execution of Marie Antoinette, which is uh, apocryphal. No, no, that definitely happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was there too. Well, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure they use actual documentary footage. <laughs> Ridley Scott is so good. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. You guys, it's called visual storytelling. Yes. <laughs> so at this point, Napoleon's doing well, except that he refuses to join one part. Uh, he refuses to join sub campaign, and he basically refuses to join for real, like for good reasons. It's it would have been a demotion if he joined. Like the role that he was asked to play, that's not what he does. But of course, as soon as he does that, his superiors are like, oh. Oh, suddenly, oh, we can't see you on the list, Napoleon. We don't have any jobs for you. We're so sorry. Um, and so he's like losing money. He's losing prestige. Um, until Napoleon does what he does best, which is kill way too many people far too aggressively. <laughs> um, so around this time, there's a rebellion against the National Convention. And they all hole up in the Tuileries Palace. And Napoleon is given the job of defending them, which... Oh my God, he does by just turning all these cannons on regular, regular, everyday people. Um, and he just blasts them to smithereens. 1,400 people die. Um, but the National Convention is fine. And his superiors are like, very good. And he uses grape shot in the cannons, right? Yes, like, exactly. Uh, Wait, so I'm sorry. So at this point, he's still working for the French government, even though he's friends with the Robespierre? Yes. Okay. No, wait, hold on, but this is... Uh, this is 1793. Yeah, so during the revolution. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, so this Robespierre is, is the head of the French government. Yeah, yeah got stage. you, sorry. I was, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so after this, it's fame, it's wealth, it's prestige. Oh my God, this young, brilliant military mind, which is when, of course... He meets Josephine. <laughs> Sorry, like a brilliant military mind just <laughs> kill loads of people. Like, yeah, so, yeah. And that's why that's why this century of French history is confusing, terrifying. I mean, like everyone just died. Like, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it, there's also like to um, like <laughs> basically American listeners. Yeah, <laughs> but like the French Revolution is not a clean narrative. Like the yes. American Revolution is told, it's like it starts off as one movement. There are all these splinter movements. Right. There's like you know, like the death of Marat, for example, is. Like, he was, like, famous painting, etc. Like, he was a revolutionary killed by Charlotte whatever, who was a... Uh, Charlotte Cordet. Thank... <laughs> I was going to say thank you, but we all know I didn't mean it. <laughs> nobody was supposed to know that name. <laughs> um, but who is, like, just a, of a more extreme other, you know, rev- still revolutionary group. You know, then there's the directorate, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, it's, it gets complicated. And if you have to study for naturalization, then don't get it. Um, <laughs> I would say um, it's going to take you, it's going to take a while. Yeah, I, yeah it, the French Revolution is one of those interesting things where you sort of, I mean, I kind of know the broad strokes of it. And then certainly up until kind of, like, 1793 I've definitely kind of more or less got a handle on what's going on but then it gets like super complicated and a lot less revolutionary and like yeah it's um... to be honest like I don't think I've ever in my formal education learned about the French Revolution yeah anything I know about the French Revolution I've read about it and even and kind of even going through Josephine and Napoleon's life like I had to keep 
reminding myself, okay, so which government was running France at this yeah. point? Okay. This is like, they're absolutely brilliant. Hilary Mantel tried to, yes. actually did write a novel on this called, what, a separate, a separate piece? No, yes. a, a place of greater safety. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been prepping for university challenge. No, like, no, go sit in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> nom nom, LSE. <laughs> I knew somebody who was on university. Um, but uh, anyways, it's I've never made it through, even though I love her work and absolutely like, worn through everything else she's ever written. Right. Because it just is. There's so many characters, so many different factions. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to keep track of that it's even she hasn't shaped it, you know, like who mm. wrote about the court of Henry VIII so brilliantly where there were also so many factions. That's it. So it was so it's compelling. Yeah. yeah. Um, where like, it's a similar thing where I was like, I, I do know the broad strokes just like with Henry VIII, you know, I read, I read the children's books, yeah. <laughs> the picture books and still couldn't follow it. And yeah. I've heard that from several people. Absolutely. Nobody except Chris has ever made it all the way through. <laughs> Have you read it? I know. I, I also didn't make it all the way through. I, I, I actually don't think it's that good a book. I think it, kind of like it I don't think there can be a really good all-encompassing French Revolution yeah. book though for the this reason there are just too many threads mm-hmm. yeah um so I'm gonna move on to Josephine excellent the star of the show really um who's was born Marie Joseph Rose Tachère de la Pagerie that is oh. her full name um she was born June 23rd 1763 um she never went by Josephine until Napoleon came along. Like, up until then, she was always, she went by Rose, she went by Marie Rose. Um, Napoleon not only started calling her Josephine, which is fine, which is cute, he then insisted that everyone in her life call her Josephine <laughs> and that she, refu- like, never go by anything else. It's too bad there weren't, like, widespread advice columnists in these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like this week in love, the, yeah. <laughs> the power couple is do, do Napoleon and Josephine. Yes. <laughs> no, but like in terms of just like like her being like, um, my boyfriend's making like all of my friends call me by one of my middle names. Yes, I'm like you be like you know you can just imagine like I don't know uh, what is it? Ask Polly, dear Polly, exactly just be like get the fuck out of there. Exactly, um, red flag, red flag. Um, but it, but to me, also just really called to mind again the that romantic novel that he wrote about his other fiance, right? Like if he can't write a whole fucking book about you where he just decides what your story is, at the very least he's going to change your title, right? Like I'm not calling you Rose like these other plebes, you know what I mean? Like you are going to be Josephine for the rest of your days. <laughs> the idea that all writers are sort of megalomaniacs and frustrated dictators, like some. I'm just putting that out there. I don't, I don't include myself in this as a non-fiction writer. I'm Malala. Oh, non-com. I realize we can't use Num Num too much because that's referenced in the second uh, This Week in Love. I mean, we can, but... Um... Yeah, maybe the nickname has been growing on us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it is. The mince pies. Oh my God. It's okay. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> this is called an Easter egg. Taylor Swift is happy. <laughs> the real fans will go back and they'll figure it out. <laughs> well, now it stays. <laughs> Perfect. Rachel, don't cut. <laughs> Um, so officially, um, Josephine was born in Martinique. There's a little bit of doubt about this. She might have been born elsewhere in St. Lucia, but because St. Lucia changed ownership so many times between, uh, Great Britain and France, that would have really fucked up her nationality. And so, and she did, and she did grow up in Martinique. Her parents owned a sugar plantation there. So it's just convenient to say, like, she was born in Martinique. Mm-hmm. Um, she was born to a wealthy French family. Um, and as I said, they owned a sugarcane plantation. Her mother was very well connected, as was her father, but her dad was 
terrible at business. They were always broke. He was constantly bankrupt. His only real interests were gambling and womanizing. And then when Josephine's about three or four, there's this massive hurricane that hits Martinique. And so most of their plantation... Is she Alexander Hamilton? (laughs) (laughs) I know this song. (laughs) Josephine La (laughs) Pagerie. So the plantation is decimated and they never really rebuild it because, again, see their lack of money. So the whole family just kind of moves into the sugar house, which is an entirely stone structure and the only thing that didn't fall apart on the plantation. And that's how they live, basically. Wow. Oh, um, my God. So most French so most French people living in the colonies at this point would have sent their kids to France around six or five, you know, to get, again, the religious, religious right, education. To get the good nuns. Then, exactly. <laughs> and then embroidery and music and stuff. But they're they're broke. And so what happens is that Josephine has a remarkably kind of independent childhood compared to her counterparts in France, right? Like, she's allowed to run around. She plays with slave, the slave children. Um, they basically have no education. Like, at some point, she and her sister, Kathleen, are sent to this random boarding school in Martinique where they learn how to read and write so she's not illiterate. But then her sister dies quite suddenly of illness. And so Josephine is sent back to the plantation. Mm. So then she's a teenager, and the expectation then would have been, okay, so now she'll, of course, get married to, you know, a wealthy son of another landowner, except, again, she's so fucking broke, and so she doesn't really have many prospects. That being said, Josephine is considered a catch. Like, if it wasn't for her dad's bankruptcy, she's supposed to be very, very beautiful. Um, She has, you know, silky chestnut brown hair. She's felt. She has hazel eyes. Something that I really do also love is that Josie was very embarrassed about her teeth. I mean, she grew up in a sugar plantation. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, in like, the late 1700s. Yeah, like, so there's yeah. actually a fascinating book called Smile, uh, which is about Ooh. the 18th century in France. Yeah. And the idea that uh, all of a sudden you were able to differentiate the levels of wealth because the like more, the more rotten your teeth were, the more sugar, the more access to sugar you had. Wow. Um, which oh, is so like in some way. So you often see like the reason that you don't see teeth in portraits. <laughs> Uh, from this time is that just so many people had horribly rotten teeth from sugar and no toothpaste. Wow, I'm imagining that she has terrible teeth. (laughs) So she was very aware of it. And so she kind of orchestrated or like modeled the smile for herself where of course she never showed her teeth but it made her look really mysterious and actually had the effect of being like, you know, alluring. She was able to really, and so she was herself like very beautiful, but she definitely knew how to kind of like dress herself. She was a very elegant person. From her smile age. was kind of like her Toulon. Like, <laughs> yeah, her siege of Toulon was her teeth. There's an urban legend that historians are like, this is apocryphal, but Josephine referenced it constantly in her life. So I feel okay <laughs> accepting it. And this urban legend is when she was about 15, with two of her friends, they went to... Now, I don't know if this is correct terminology, but the podcast I listened to called her an island witch. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm just going to move right past that. Um, so this witch is telling fortunes. And so first friend goes up and the witch says to her, you're going to live a gorgeous long life. You're going to have a happy marriage and you're going to die content. And that is what happens to this girl. The second, but it's also just like, if you don't, like, what right. recourse do you have? You're dead. <laughs> Things get interesting with the second girl, the second friend who's Josephine's cousin. Um, the witch tells her that she's going to be kidnapped by pirates. <laughs> and guess what? That actually does happen to her. Like, she is legit kidnapped by pirates. I mean, uh, fair enough. I mean, but there are also, how many fates are there for you? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, yeah, you know, Caribbean, late 1700s. It's not like, if, if I got that as a fortune, I'd be like, shit. <laughs> Like, so, yeah. And then if you were, and if it came true, we would be impressed. We'd be like, "Who's the 
the island witch. <laughs> we give her all my money. <laughs> but then Josephine is the third, of course she is. She's telling the story. Um, and she is told that she'll be married unhappily. She'll be widowed. And then she'll marry a dark man of no social standing who will make her greater than a queen. Mm. And that guy was not Napoleon. I'm just kidding. It wasn't Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> but she still has to get through the initial unhappy marriage, which... So Napoleon's her second marriage. Her first marriage is to someone named Alexandre de Beauharnais. Um, and he also is Martinique. Just also, though, here's a question. If you get that fortune, because I've had a, like a similar type of fortune, not the greater than the queen oh, part, but okay, everything okay. else. But it's just like, how do you get through that first relation? Like, how do you make yourself do it? Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, oh, damn, he did propose. And it looks like this is going to happen. Like, God, I guess. I guess yeah. I have to get through it. And then also, you know that you're going to be widowed. So you're like, you, you, you're watching him do his day-to-day tasks. And you're like, is he clumsy? Not really. How is he going to die? Does the universe need some help on this? Yeah. <laughs> but in the French Revolution's right there. <laughs> Waiting to do your bidding. <laughs> like, Go be an enlightenment thinker. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I really like this for you. Be a class trader, okay? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, so my turn on is class trader. <laughs> <laughs> it actually isn't not, but you know, right? But different. I wouldn't. I wouldn't lead with that. I hope that's one of our Mary Fuck yeah. class traders. <laughs> um. So she meets Alexandre because her aunt is the mistress of a married French naval officer, and Alexandre is his child. So at some point, Josephine's aunt is like, listen, being a mistress is great and all, but it's not, like, it's not the greatest job security. And the family is getting ready to leave Martinique to go back to France to live there, and she's going, "Uh oh, like what am I actually doing here, right? Like, if he, if this man dies, I have no protection. His wife is obviously not going to help me. I need to figure out a way to secure my future. And so she comes up with a great plan, which is that, oh, no, his son should marry one of my three nieces. And then we're, you know, forever inextricably She's linked. like, top one, bad teeth? Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I got Good personality. Yeah. Spelt. Chestnut hair. Can I tell you about that? Enigmatic smile. Oh, uh, but actually Josephine's aunt is also Alexandre's godmother and his confidant. So she's also able to like kind of work her magic with him. But Alexandre is a dick. Like I'm just going to be upfront about that. He sucks. And the first way that he sucks is that he's like, oh, I don't want to be with Josephine because Josephine and he are basically the same age. And he's like, oh, I don't want someone who's my age. I want someone who's going to do what I want them to do. So they go with Catherine, but she dies, as I mentioned, of illness. And so then he's like, no, Josephine's too close in age to me. You don't have anyone else. They're like... Yeah, we do have Marie-Francoise, who's 11 years old. Um, and even at the time... He's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And he's, like, fine with it. He's, like, great. And their mom is like, fuck off. Josephine can't be very old at this stage. Sorry, she's 16. She's, yeah, Alexandre's sorry. 17. No, no, no. Alexandre's 17. She's 16. Catherine, Catherine is the second child. She's died. And Marie-Francoise is 11 years old. Um, but the thing at is, the age of just, 16, he's already going, no, I prefer yeah. younger women. And he's able to do what he wants. Look, there's no sunscreen, no toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things were different. But it's also, I could have passed for 16. But also that. Josephine's aunt and Josephine's dad are hell-bent on getting him to be married to their family because 
Well, Josephine's aunt, because as I said, she wants to secure her future. And Josephine's dad, because he's broke. And so he's like, oh, these wealthy, you know, plantation owners, they want to marry. I have three daughters to sell. Yeah, so he's yeah. like, anybody. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, but her mom is like, you are not taking my 11-year-old daughter and marrying her off to this fuckwit. Like, right. that's not happening. Right. So in the end, it is Josephine who goes. And so she gets on a ship. She goes to France. And that's where she officially meets Alexandre. Um, however, her welcome to She's her, like, I've heard good things. You know, like, <laughs> and, and to add to it, her welcome to her new home is that he's just gotten a 29-year-old married woman pregnant. He's 17. Um, and he's about to get married. And the witch was correct. <laughs> the marriage was a deeply unhappy. Um, and, and for Josephine, it's a really isolating experience. She's never been to France before. She has no understanding of kind of like non-colonial French society. She's made fun of a lot as well. You know, she doesn't know the ins and outs of it. Um, but unlike unlike Napoleon, which we'll find out, um, Josephine is a genius when it comes to kind of her social skills. She immediately picks up on what she needs to do. And she's a quick learner. And more than anything, and, we'll, and you'll see this like as we go along, like her main thing is her own survival and her kid's survival. Mm. So she's like, all right, so this these are the meager tools I've been given to work with. I'll do what I can. They have two kids, a boy and a girl, um, and their marriage is so bad that the court orders them to separate because of his <laughs> wow. terrible behavior. Like, imagine the 1700s. Like, I mean, to borrow a phrase from Rachel, you couldn't have a bad day for a white rich <laughs> man. You know what I mean? Like, you just, you couldn't have a bad day. I point out it was the, this was the, during the time of the revolution, right? Like, Yeah, so this is, this is the Robespierre Years. Yeah, so I mean, like, I, all right, like, I mean, how it probably was pretty bad, but I think like it was quite a liberal time in which kind of like unusual ideas of like, that's true. you know, people's rights were coming out at that stage, and that's so true. so wait, the court, who do you oh, like, like courts, like judicial courts, judicial courts were not like, the like Louis the Eighteenth, no, yeah, no, okay. judicial courts were like this has and 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 so you're absolutely right, and also to be fair. No one liked Alexandre either because, again, he's still fucking everything that moves. A lot of other men are very pissed. <laughs> They're like, asshole, stop it. So no one's really here for Alexandre. Um, he becomes president of the National Constituent Assembly and is arrested in 1794, as is Josephine. Um, and she stays in jail from April to July. She's not allowed to communicate with her kids. This is obviously heartrending and really difficult. And Alexandre is guillotined July 23rd, 1794. There's a really high possibility that Josephine will follow, except that five days later, Robespierre is guillotined. <laughs> and so she's set free, which is like... So basically, the government changes. Yes, exactly. So she's... Which is like great news, right? Like, yay, like head and neck are still attached. All is well. Except that she's 32. She has two kids and has no discernible sense of like where she's going to get an income. She's got that prophecy though. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. She's like, right, that's one down. Like, so she <laughs> greater just, than a queen. So, yes. <laughs> just keep her morning mantra. Greater than a queen. Great. Come on, Josephine. Come on, Josephine. Don't smile. No, Josephine. <laughs> Wait, so actually, does she get the money? Again, inheritance laws. All yeah. I care about. So, um, so this does the, she because they were separated. They were separated, and she is able to because of a new law that's passed. She's able to get everything from Alexandre. He doesn't have that much either. And Josephine's one of Josephine's like. Um, kind of major attributes, which very relatable to me. Um, she's always in debt. There's never a time when she's living within means. So what she does is promptly, she's like, great, I have to get a new husband, basically, right? Like, that's the yeah. only other way I'm going to survive. So she takes money from, you know, she, you know, gets loans. She does this, like, nice furnished apartment. And her salon, because I love Josephine, she basically goes, she becomes the social celebrity 
of of Paris. So she and her friend Therese, who later on will marry this very um, famous French actor, they become social celebrities, right? They're both beautiful. Um, Josephine's kind of like her allures could be commented upon, and they also are trendsetters. So whenever they wear something, everyone else in Paris wants to wear the same thing. Everyone wants to go to Josephine Salon. Um, she just has amazing people skills, right? She's a great hostess. She has that quality that I remember, uh, I've read a lot of, about Prince Diana where she makes people feel like they're really being listened to when they're around mm-hmm. her. She's engaging. She's really kind. They're both cancers. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. But so she's, and she's, and she's also, and I think one of the things also that's so brilliant about her is that this is not an easy time to maintain political equilibrium as an individual, right? Like, as we've been saying, the government's change right and left. You never know who's going to be in political power, but she's really able to navigate that, right? And she just got to Without this. email. Yeah. Without, without TikTok. Without TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> no TikTok, no teeth. She's still doing it. <laughs> what it says on her tombstone <laughs> no, no teeth just vibes <laughs> the kids today have it easy with their tiktok and their teeth <laughs> but so she's able to keep up pretty good relationships with people in political power and has multiple affairs including with someone named paul barras who is part of the directorate, which would govern France from 1795 to 1799. He's Napoleon's mentor. And so when he's kind of like, you know, tired of Josephine and moves on to somebody else, to Napoleon, he's like, hey, do you single? You're single. Guys, I, I feel like you guys have a lot in common. Talk amongst yourselves. Honestly, best way to break up with somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and Napoleon is obsessed obsessed he has little to no experience with women um and Can't he imagine. exactly <laughs> and he just is like i'm the luckiest person ever um josephine's like okay um she <laughs> she's not that impressed with him she apparently refers to him as a puss in boots which i'm sure at the time was like oh shots fired <laughs> oh you jiminy cricket <laughs> oh. Oh. you little num num yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> Napoleon's family hates her, especially his mom. Um, they're like, this old widow? It's just two kids? Disgusting. What are you talking about? Wait, aren't they the same age? No, he's younger than her. Oh, I did know that, but I thought that he was also born in 1763. No. So they, um, and actually on their marriage certificate, they get married by civil ceremony first. She reduces his age by, no, she reduces her own age by four years and adds 18 months to his age. So it seems like they're about the same age. Yeah. The problem is just when you got to start early with yeah, that. Yeah, that's it. See, wish I'd started in the pre-internet days. She lived 50 years. She did the best she could with the years she got. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they both lived until 50. They both, they both lived very truncated lives. They did a lot though. Um, so they, he was, <laughs> That's all we really need. It's an understatement now. <laughs> I felt bad just like leaving it there, you know. I want to give honor. They did a lot of shit. Oh. Busy lives. Yeah. <laughs> he proposes to her in January 1796. They're married three months later in March. So do we know what the tipping point is where she's like, okay, I guess. It's the fact that she has no other options. Ah. She has no other options. And more than anything, she the options that she does have, she looks at Napoleon and she's kind of like, you know, this is not the worst option. Because think about it. Right. Like, up until now, too, the men that she's seen in her life, her dad, fucking Alexandre, like, they've been really <laughs> shitty. The one who would rather have her 11-year-old sister. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? The one who, like, like, at least you're obsessed with me. The one who, when he was her fiancé, had already gotten another married woman pregnant, like, before she even got off the boat. Um, the thing is, like, even though she was annoyed by Napoleon, uh, he was a lot, he was really needy, he was really demanding, he needed Josephine's attention at all times. Like, he really was, like, a child when it came to any sort of non-military social situation. 
But he loved her. I mean, like, we can argue about that, I guess. But, like, he was obsessed with her. with her kids? He was great with them. And that was Whoa, huge, too. Whoa, no, surprising. No. Yes, he was really playful with them. He liked, like, they liked him a lot. Um, And they also, and again, they had their fucking asshole biological father, right? Like, yeah. Napoleon, like, liked kids and liked playing with them. And they would play, like, war games. And he was nice to both the daughter and the son. <laughs> he probably always won. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> When they were stomping back to their rooms, like, what, what's the matter? Like, I've been exiled. Yeah. <laughs> when Alexandre and Josephine were together, um, Alexandre first denied paternity of the daughter. He was like, oh, even though he's the one who's fucking everything, right? And then when they do get separated, he actually takes his son with him and leaves his daughter with Josephine. So Napoleon is equally kind to both. So for Josephine, that's huge, right? She does. She loves her kids. She wants her kids to be protected. Um, and he's nice. Like, he's nice to her. It's kind of nice to be obsessed over. Even if you don't really like the person who's so obsessed with you, it's better than what you got before. Yeah. So, you know, so she decides. Okay, and then and then kind of overall with their marriage, in some ways it is a success, right? Like, it, there are lots of problems which we'll get into. But at the end of the day, Napoleon is a fucking disaster when he's not on the battlefield. He has absolutely no fucking manners. He has no sense of proportion. He has no sense of occasion. His normal conversational style is described as just bulldozing people over. Surprise. Um, he's disgusting when he eats. He has no social graces. Like, And so Josephine, though, is, of course, this is where she excels. And so he's the power. He's Napoleon. He brings the fame, the wealth. And she loves all of that because also she loves spending money and she loves having nice things and beautiful things. But she's really known for being elegant. As I said, she's a style icon, a trendsetter. And so it kind of works, right? Like every time he offends someone in public, she kind of goes over and she's like, no, he doesn't mean that. Right? I mean, <laughs> he's Italian. He's Buena parte. <laughs> Excuse me, I need to go burp him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and so at the end of the day, like their marriage, they actually, they honestly could be described as being a celebrity power couple. Like in this, in this situation they were they were known and they were um well he was not she was physically very beautiful as well so there was that too like the beauty on the on the arm of military might um and so two days after their wedding napoleon leaves <laughs> to go back to war he's like got that out of my system yeah exactly <laughs> and apparently almost is so late to the wedding itself that josephine almost cancels because she's like i guess he's not coming because he's planning i'm sorry little late at all i'm out yeah <laughs> <laughs> because he's planning for this fucking, you know, army of Italy. And so during their separation, he writes her many, many gushing declarations of love. This is what's become known. Ridley Scott apparently just went through all the archives <laughs> for his movie. Um, one excerpt. Every moment separates me further from you, my beloved. And every moment I have less energy to exist so far from you. You are the constant object of my thoughts. Um, Josephine, because she's iconic, rarely writes back. <laughs> like, wow. And when she does... Her letters are really dry. Um, another letter. Well, because from- like he's basically what like twenty something who's just had sex for the first time. Maybe, yeah, and Josephine's like, I'm busy. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Go. Go. Like, part of the benefit of this arrangement is that you would be gone. <laughs> exactly. Um, Napoleon writes Josephine at some point. I'm not satisfied with your last letter. It is cold as friendship. So he's also critiquing her letters to him in his own correspondence. Uh, Josephine to one of her friends writes, I find myself in a state of lukewarmness. <laughs> so, oh, like better to be hated. But so while he's in Italy, she starts an affair because again, Josephine is the best. Um, and she starts an affair with a 23 year old named Hippolyte. And, but then in June, Napoleon's like, okay, come to Italy. I'm still leading this war. I miss you. And she does. But she brings Hippolyte with her. Uh, (laughs) Now, she brings Hippolyte with her in June. In November of that year, Napoleon starts getting a little suspicious. (laughs) 
So again, he's a brilliant military strategist. <laughs> um, when he gets suspicious in his letter, one letter to he writes, an ex- this is an excerpt, I don't love you anymore. On the contrary, I detest you. You are a vile, mean, beastly slut. You he's don't a little write- kid. Yeah, you don't write to me at all. You don't love your husband. And then... Soon I hope I will be holding you in my arms. Then I will cover you with a million hot kisses, burning like the equator. Um, <laughs> and then he writes... Oh, he blows hot and cold. Yeah. <laughs> Never lukewarm, Napoleon, ironically. Um, <laughs> so. I have I have like another long excerpt, but basically he's like, you're being so mean to me. I went to your apartment in Milan. You weren't even there. A whim made you love your Napoleon and constancy makes you indifferent. And Josephine's like, all right. <laughs> Finally, in March, <laughs> years later, exactly, Napoleon finds out about the affair. It takes him so fucking long. Like, she's living with someone else, basically. Um, and he's, of course, so, he's furious, right? Just we manage to smooth things over, but she does not stop fucking Hippolyte. <laughs> um, and then um, Napoleon hears about the second kind of go-round of the affair when he's in Egypt fucking furious he writes to his brother saying like i think i'm gonna divorce her um the letter is intercepted and it's published in british newspapers and the english of course think is hilarious uh, i mean i'm still finding it funny to this day That's it. like if the, if the ridley scott film is anything to go by like, so, yeah. so now everyone's just laughing at napoleon which i thought was funny because in the movie too like i was like okay so he's really and i'm sure he's exaggerating it but it's true. Like, Napoleon not being able to keep, Jos- you know, big air quotes, keep Josephine at home and under control was made him a laughing stock. So it didn't matter. And, of course, it's nice because when you're being defeated by Napoleon on the battlefield, <laughs> it's kind of nice to be like, but... <laughs> it's really interesting because the, the Duke of Wellington had, I think, the, just the coolest possible uh, response to a similar situation where... Uh, do you know this story? I don't. Somebody had threatened to publish his letters to his mistress, and he was so just taken aback by their gall. All he wrote back was, publish and be damned. <laughs> See, mm. but Napoleon has no chill. Yeah, he has Napoleon, no chill. <laughs> Napoleon can't do that, right? Like, as soon as there's that's a problem. Why the, that's why his uh, nemesis ultimately. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> My fake ancestor. Um, so he, <laughs> exactly. So Hold out for the memoir, different story. Um, so Napoleon comes back to France in 1799. He helps overthrow the director, and he's made first consul. Um, and then soon after that, Josephine promises to end the affair with Hippolyte, which she does. Because she's like, oh, I see it happening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be greater than a Okay, island witch. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, too, Josephine's like, she still needs him. She's aware of that. I mean, begrudgingly, she's aware that she only has social status and money and protection because she's with Napoleon. Right. So he, and then what he starts doing like an asshole is kind of, waving the ultimatum of like I could divorce you I could divorce you plus at this point she's almost 40 yes exactly um but not that that is like a deadline for women just at the time this is like not like she's a she'd be a a divorced woman with no property of her own um and presumably no sunscreen no toothpaste exactly exactly. (laughs) no tiktok (laughs) and again remember that this marriage was not approved by Napoleon's family either so all of this is just making his mom and his family go like we told you we told you she's old and she's a slut. <laughs> Guess what? Um, and by the way, Napoleon is having affairs all the time as well. It's not like he's so faithful to her. He just now that he's found out about sex and now he's yeah, super excited he's like really into it. it. Yeah. He he was a little bit more discreet, but then as soon as all of this happens, like the relationship kind of changes, and then he really starts. But he's a kid, like you were saying, Rachel. He starts to flaunt it. Like he's like, "Guess who I'm with?" And just means like, "I don't care." <laughs> okay, but okay, but um. Um, my rhymes with Nonine, and it's a woman, and I'm fucking her, and she's like, "Great, bye." <laughs> her teeth are amazing. <laughs> that's and that's when she's like, "Hey, hey." <laughs> so then we get to 1804, which is a 
which is when the coronation will happen, when they'll be made emperor and empress. But right before Napoleon... Sorry, I love the passive voice. They'll be made emperor and empress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who's going to make them? I'll go, I mean, you know, a little bit of drama, a little bit, just in case you don't know, in case you haven't seen the painting. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's slammed by the critics. <laughs> but so we're getting close to the coronation, and Napoleon brings up again... I, I just really don't see how this is going to work out. Like, I need an heir, right? Like, so this is... So the main thing that he can always hold over Josephine's head of, is that she is not... Doesn't seem to be able to have a child with him. Hmm. Um, and he's like, I know I need an heir. And so the night before the coronation, Josephine starts to be like, he's really talking about this a lot. Like, clearly this is important. And so she goes to the Pope, who's in town for the coronation. <laughs> and she goes... So this is the night before. And she tells him, like, you know, I'm, I'm really scared about my soul. And he's like, what child? Why? And she's like... We never actually got married in the church. Like, I wanted to so badly. But Napoleon, you know, like, he was like, we have to just do a civil service ceremony. But I'm like, I'm so scared. I'm really scared. I don't want God to be mad at me. And the Pope is beside himself, obviously. And he calls Napoleon. Um, and then Napoleon comes and he's like, I will not preside over this coronation if 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 you guys are just living like this. Like, you know, it, and, and Napoleon is so kind of you know, caught off guard. It's the night before. So they end up doing a church wedding the night before the coronation. Like officiated the, by the Pope? Officiated by the Pope. Wow. <laughs> and Josephine, and again... I mean, I guess if you're... That's the part that you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because... So if you are about to be crowned emperor, then maybe... But it's, but it's so brilliant on the part of Josephine, right? Because as soon as it becomes a religious ceremony, they're, like, as soon as their marriage is a religious marriage, it's so much harder to get divorced, right? Mm. It would be so much, it, the fact that it was a civil cer- ceremony was one of the reasons why Napoleon could dangle this divorce in front of her at all times. It was a simple matter. As soon as the church gets involved, she knows even if we do have to get divorced, right. it's going to be a long process. She's, and she, basically she's won herself some time, yeah. right? So even if, let's say, they do get divorced, she's thinking, my kids will be married at that point. They'll have their own houses. They'll still be Napoleon's kids for all intents and purposes. Well, and the other thing is, too, that you'd have to get the divorce approved by the Pope, who's not going to, like, divorce a couple that he's married. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So they get married. And then December 2nd, 1804, um, they go to the Notre Dame. And famously, Napoleon, you know, Napoleon and, the, and, and Josephine would have been crowned by the Pope. Napoleon stands up. He takes the crown. Really, Scott really goes down with this scene. <laughs> <laughs> and he crowns himself. He takes the crown for Josephine and he crowns Josephine, right? So he is the one who crowns, he makes his own destiny. The clergy's not going to get involved. And they are the hottest emperor and empress ever. <laughs> they, however, almost don't make it to the coronation. <laughs> um, because right before, Josephine catches Napoleon with one of her ladies-in-waiting. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm about to be empress. Today? December 2nd? We literally got married last night. <laughs> the Pope was there. <laughs> I think, just to go back, I'm interested about the Pope officiating the wedding. I don't know how many weddings, like, the like the Pope has done in That's the past. True. Like, you know, I mean, obviously, he would have been trained in it, but he'd be like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't usually do this. Like, they yeah, can't but you know, many... I mean, there are priests before they're popes. No, I know that's what I mean. Like, so, yeah, but I, I, I just mean like no, I know, I know, but I mean like you would have how to, many... like go back in the street. Would have been like okay, the Latin sanctum, sanctus. Yeah, okay, okay I got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, I've, it's, it's been a while. Like, I think it's high dative. I don't think it's genitive. But we'll just roll with me. Roll with I mean, me. I've heard the sacraments. They're like riding a bicycle. You mm. know, like just, just hop right back on. Mm. Um, and so. As Empress, Josephine is not, is by no means just kind of like a quiet partner. She's, she basically expands the saddle she had before she met Napoleon and makes that the whole court, right? So, and very, I mean, 
she and Marie Antoinette are really, really different in terms of what their personalities seem to be, but in terms of kind of setting a tone for the court, mm-hmm. setting, again, being being in many ways like a visual accompaniment to power, that really matters, right? Like Napoleon is not good at that. Napoleon's not good at kind of the the facade of it, the 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 display of it. Right. And Josephine, that she's so great at. She knows exactly who to, who to invite. She knows exactly how to make things beautiful as well. Um, and actually one of the things that France really kind of expands and leaps and bounds with is um, horticulture because Josephine is great, especially with roses. Mm. Um, and the roses... Hey, Chandra Naponte. Hey, exactly, exactly. Um, so, and and what we know now is Napoleonic fashion is really kind of brings, it, it rises under her reign. But by the time, by this time, she's 43 years old. Um, and it seems clear that she's not going to be able to bear a child. Um, at this point, multiple mistresses of Napoleon have had kids by him. So mm. as his family, you know, loves to kind of hold over her, uh, the problem's not with our son. So, but Napoleon does love her and he doesn't, and he, even though he loves to threaten her with divorce, he actually doesn't want to get divorced at all. Um, but then he finally has to really actually start to consider it because they have one, they have one potential heir who was actually their nephew, um, the son of Napoleon's brother and Josephine's daughter. Uh-huh. Ish. Ish. I know. It's like, it's not, it's, it's not, like you have to squint to see it. It just feels, uh, it's not as bad as it could have been, but it's not great. Yeah. But they have a kid named Napoleon. Um, <laughs> and so the idea is that, well, you know, our, my nephew will be my heir, but this kid dies at the age of four. Uh, and his ah. parents had set him up so well with the name and everything. Yeah, exactly. His name was Napoleon Louis Charles Bonaparte. Like, this kid yeah. was clearly being, you know, like, emperor material. <laughs> Napoleon one and a half. Yeah. One and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the Lion King sequel. <laughs> um, and so finally, Napoleon, after much thought, has to tell Josephine, I'm, I'm going to annul the marriage. There's nothing, I, I need an heir. There's nothing to be done. This is, for both of them, like really emotionally devastating. Like they're not well. This is, I mean, you, as you can probably already see, this is like a very tumultuous relationship in many ways. Not for lack of love, right? Like they do really, you know, even Josephine, even if she's not as obsessed with him, she does love him by the end of it. And it's a, it, like, this is a crisis, right? For weeks they are crying, they are arguing about, no, we can find another way. But finally, Josephine kind of comes around and it's like, you know, like, I understand. Like, you do, you need an heir. Like, there's just nothing to be done. I'm, I certainly won't be able to produce that for you. And so, I mean, show of hands, how many people think she was just so tired of having this argument? Oh, she was just like, like fine, I'm for out. Sure, <laughs> for sure. And, and, and the annulment takes place in 1810 on January 10th. They each read a statement of devotion to each other. I also thought this was a, like, um, apocryphal in the Ridley Scott movie. Mm. Uh, but from Napoleon's letter, he writes, uh, an excerpt far from ever finding cause for a complaint. I can, to the contrary, only congratulate myself on the devotion and tenderness of my beloved wife. I mean, this is a very nice <laughs> thing to say, but obviously there is cause he's for com- complaint. Like, literally, that's why we're complimenting her on how, like, much she loved him. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Um, however, he is extremely, um, I, I don't want to give him extra credit for this, but I guess I should because men of the time. Um, he's very generous to her in the terms of the, the divorce. So she keeps her rank, her title. She basically keeps all she the trappings. She gets Yeah. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> that's keeps, real. She keeps all the trappings of being an empress. She's given a gorgeous property. Um, you know, she has help her whole life. Um, I believe the phrase is made out like a bandit. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, he writes, it is my will that she retain the rank and title of empress. 
empress and especially that she never doubt my sentiments and that she ever hold me as her best and dearest friend and actually they did stay friends there for her whole life like they were really on great terms um on march 11th he marries uh marie louise of austria she does give him a son an heir in 1811 uh napoleon notes about her it is a womb that i'm a mar- i am marrying um <laughs> and so as i said well, they, that's nice yeah that's mm-hmm. always really cute. everyone likes um, that. and actually two years later he introduces josephine to his son which I would have thought would be such a shitty thing to do, but apparently Josephine was like really moved by this. And hmm. again, lots like she was really happy about this. Um, and so she dies of pneumonia at the age of 50, May 29th, 1814. Um, and actually the, the story is that she gets pneumonia because she's advocate, she's taking a walk outside with the head of Russia at that time. And she's advocating for Napoleon, who's in exile. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she dies. And apparently Napoleon, who dies after her, but also at the age of 50, says, uh, 51, whatever, who cares? Um, his last words are said to have been France, the army, head of the army, Josephine. And one last thing I want to say before, just to wrap it all up, is that I think there is something kind of incredible. Um, there's a kind of poetic justice about the fact that this person who was given such short shift because she was not able to produce a dynasty, basically, um, she loses everything. And and her legacy has kind of been really marred, marred or marked rather, by the fact that she's not able to give him a child. But through her children, she's uh, the grandmother of Napoleon III, as well as the Brazilian, uh, Brazilian empress. She is a direct descendant uh, of members of the current royal families of Sweden, Denmark, Belgium, Norway, <laughs> Norway. Luxembourg. So... In many ways, she actually so was my the most husband. Exactly. So she <laughs> she was more than fruitful, right? Like she was able, like di- whole dynasties have come from Josephine, um, which I think more than even, Napoleon. Yeah, anyway. way more than Napoleon. Exactly. Mm. So it's a bitter irony. It's a shitty irony in many ways. The way that her legacy has really been like treated and tampered with, and I think that's changing. Uh, but good on you, Josephine, who is just the most iconic person ever. I was so excited to get to know her better. Yay! Ooh. And now it's time for our favorite segment, Marry, Fuck, Kill. This week, Naf, tell us who will be marrying, fucking, and killing. Okay, so your options are (laughs) three possible fates. One, being kidnapped by pirates. (laughs) Two, living a long, happy life, nice marriage, dying happily. And the third is having a really shitty first marriage and having a not great second marriage too, honestly. But, but... Becoming ruler of the world. <laughs> okay, I think my answers to this are very different than what they would have been when I was, say, 20. Okay. But I will say at this point, for me, it's so clear. Marry, long, happy life. Yeah, okay. Right? Um, oh, no, the fuck one is more complicated. But I'm going to say fuck being kidnapped by par- pirates. Yeah. Just because just, it's interesting. You know, I don't want to marry it, but yeah. one time's enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know the saying about being kidnapped by pirates: once is more than enough. Um, but yeah, and uh, kill, 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 kill the uh, greater than a queen because of the whole first part. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Mm, I mean, it's difficult to do anything apart from I think. Well, kind of Rachel's answer. I mean, I think fuck being kidnapped by pirates is an interesting one. Um, I'm just trying to, like, because they're all kind of destinies. Was it like, I don't know, yeah. Was it like fucking just a, a long, happy marriage? Like, um, Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a that's a really nice, I mean, that's like, 
Yeah, they're like you know, it's like a tender you know yeah. relationship. Like in the ends on good oh, terms, you know what? Easily. It, and your fuck buddy is in a, like a genuinely unhappy marriage. It's totally understandable. Like that they would be on you know like their partner is just awful, and so it's it's like you're not really cheating on anyone that great, and and they love you so much, but mm. they're such a devoted partner that they don't want to divorce another person because they need them for like there's okay like you can create like lots of caveats yeah yeah i mean i think i i think i have to unfortunately go exactly the same as rachel has said which is uh, marry the long happy marriage (laughs) uh being uh kidnapped by pirates because it's i mean this is a kind of pirates of the caribbean style pirates not actually being kidnapped by pirates (laughs) which would probably have even worse teeth than you do (laughs) yeah which would probably be not you (laughs) well we all grew up on a sugar plantation (laughs) grew up in england it's the same (laughs) um yeah and then yeah kill being greater than all queens uh including the kind of like the bad marriage but i'd probably kill being greater than all queens anyway um in a non-drag sense (laughs) (laughs) so i think that i would go with I would fuck the, the, the destiny of being an empress because I don't think I want to live that life. Yeah, I, I tied I, with that. But I really, but I want to see what that's like, right? Like, I want to wear a crown. Yeah. I want to I want to kind of go around my castle and be like, I'm bored. And have, <laughs> and have like, lots of different people be like, oh my God, but do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Do you want to do that? You should see me in a crown type yeah. of energy. I just, yeah, I just want to, I want to have all the things I want just for a little, but just for a while. I was going to say fuck being kidnapped by pirates, but then I was thinking sand. <laughs> oh, that's not great for me. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be rough. I feel like, and truly no shade to 1700s pirates, but I just feel like you're bringing stuff that I don't need to kind of put in my body. I just, I'm, I'm nervous. You know what I mean? Like I may not, I may not survive. <laughs> like whatever. That's true. I yeah. mean, get leprosy. There are not zero insects on this boat. Yeah. You see what I mean? So yeah. So I feel like that's for me a kill, kill, kill. And you would definitely be wanting to use protection, like yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And I don't think they make the protection that I would need. Like at that time, I haven't invented yet. I just don't see that happening. Um, and then yeah, I guess I'll marry like the long happy marriage and be like really happy. Oh, <laughs> we need a bunch of adventurous nineteen-year-olds to play this with us. Yeah. <laughs> Unproblematically, <laughs> just for the knowledge, yeah, just for the just for the game, <laughs> <laughs> not for the creepy. Marry TikTok, fuck teeth, <laughs> <laughs> kill Napoleon. I don't know. That <laughs> really would be what it is. Um, fuck, uh, like kill colonization. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not like not a path that we wouldn't take. No, for sure. All those negatives. <laughs> Okay, signing off from the pirate ship. (laughs) This is We'll Always Have Pairs. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week with the follow-up to uh, Napoleon and Josephine.